Uh, we're going to just uh, take out our Bibles this morning. We're going to be heading to John chapter 3 as well, again. And uh, yeah, just to reiterate, we do have youth camp coming up next weekend, which is very exciting. We've got, I think, about uh, just over 30 of the youth coming along to camp, so, which is really exciting. And uh, I just love and uh, ask that if you can be just praying and upholding the youth, the young people, the leaders who are going in prayer, believing that's going to be just a, a great time in the Lord, a time of breakthrough, marking moments that will have a real impact upon their lives. So be grateful if you could join us in prayer for that. And uh, let's pray as we open up God's Word this morning. Father, I thank you for this privilege today, this joy of gathering together as your people, the joy that we've already had of of worshipping you, Lord, with our voices, with our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, for this, this holy moment now where we open up your Word. And I pray that in this coming year, Lord, that your word would come alive to us, Lord God, like never before, for each and every heart. I pray even just like those that walked on the road to Emmaus and you came and walked alongside them, Lord Jesus, and opened up uh, the scriptures to them. And the Bible tells us that their hearts burned within them, Lord. I I pray that your word would, would burn like fire in our hearts this year, Lord God. And I pray this morning that we would come with humility that we would come uh, just ready to hear what you might be saying to us today. We honor you, we thank you and praise you for this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 3, just before we get there, uh, just had this kind of phrase on my heart in in this week, and I feel like there may be one person, maybe more here this morning that it's for, Uh, And it's just this phrase, grace in the wilderness. Grace in the wilderness. And uh, it's it's out of actually Jeremiah chapter 31, where the Lord is saying that there's grace in the wilderness. And he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've continued my faithfulness to you. I'm not sure each and every one of us are at this morning. The sense I have is maybe there's at least one person here that you're starting this year Maybe not really feeling a sense of excitement or expectancy, but rather you feel in that wilderness place, that desert place where things feel a little bit dry and difficult. Maybe you've been in that place of, Lord, how long? Lord, where are you? But I just feel that there's that encouragement this morning. The Lord wants to uh, just remind you, encourage your heart. This is not wasted time. It's time of refining and restoring and renewing and that there is grace There is his steadfast love and faithfulness available to you this morning. So if that applies to you, just giving that uh, with open hands and just pray that the Lord would would encourage your hearts in that. John chapter 3. Here we are at the start of a new year. 2024, nearly a quarter of the way through this century, which sounds pretty crazy, I think. I wonder how many of us, though, attempt to make New Year's resolutions. Is anybody in that camp? Two of us, okay? Two of us across a congregation of a couple of hundred. If nothing else, the start of a new year is a good time to to pause, to reflect, to take stock perhaps, to, to consider areas that we may want to grow in, that we may want to prioritize, that we may want to change even in our lives this year. 
But if you are a New Year's resolution kind of person, I came across some quotes or reflections this week that perhaps might bring a little bit of insight or perspective around New Year's resolutions. Here's the first one. What exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week of January. Well, how about this one? My New Year's resolution is to stop procrastinating. I'm not starting until next week. Or I came across this quote by someone who says, I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer the term casual promises to myself that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill. Which takes the pressure right off, I think. Or here's one more. Dear New Year's resolution, well, it was fun while it lasted. Sincerely, January 2nd. Hopefully some of us are doing a little bit better than uh, those quotes would indicate this morning. But as we start this new year, as we start 2024, and of course it is actually an Olympic year, I love the Olympics, maybe I'm you know, feeling inspired, but I've been thinking about a race. You know, the Bible talks often about running the race, that athletic terminology. And when we are in a race, both how one starts and how one finishes is vitally important. We looked last week, we reflected for a moment on, on finishing our year well, reflecting and all those things. But here we are at the start of a new year, and I, I want to encourage us this morning with something that will hopefully help us, hopefully uh, encourage us to start the year well, but that will also spur us on as we go through this year, that might even frame our year, in a sense, as we go throughout 2024 and indeed beyond. And I, uh, the title of my message this morning is A Year of Increase, Less is More. And it's my hope and aim that what this means will become apparent as we go. And perhaps it will be a little bit different than what you might be thinking after hearing a title like A Year of Increase. So let's read together from John 3, uh, verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Perhaps this is somewhat of an interesting passage to frame the year ahead. But where I want to spend the majority of our time this morning focusing on, honing in on, is this simple yet significant proclamation that John the Baptist makes. Verse 30, we'll find that. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
Just to give a little bit of context here, we know that from Scripture, John the Baptist was a pretty important figure, right? His birth was prophesied some hundreds of years before he was born. He was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother Elizabeth's womb. We know that his ministry that he had was, was quite prominent and effective. Uh, even, um, you know, he spoke into the, uh, into the political sphere when he spoke into the, the lives of, of Herod, uh, the ruler at the time, and the, the religious leaders. We know that he spoke into the economic kind of sphere of society when the tax collectors would come to him. And we know that he spoke into the military sphere as well when the, the, the soldiers, the centurions came and asked, what must, we, what, what, what must we do? Jesus himself, in describing John, gave him very high praise indeed when he said, I tell you, of, of, of those born of women, none has arisen greater than John the Baptist. So he was a, a pretty prominent and significant figure. And so the issue here in this passage that we've read is now that Jesus is on the scene, he's begun his ministry, and more and more people are going to him. And it's like his disciples come to John and are like, hey, what are you going to do about this? You know, you've got to, your ministry is important, you've got, to, you've got to hold on to that platform and position. What are we going to do about this problem where more and more people are, are leaving you and going towards Jesus? And John's response it's very interesting, and it's, it's probably even quite challenging for us in our highly individualistic, self-focused culture because it reveals his heart and his posture before the Lord. And I believe there is something for us to grab hold of this morning as his people as we embark on 2024. I love John's response. He doesn't react out of fear or anger or jealousy, or envy. He doesn't have to have his two cents worth. He doesn't have to have that little passive-aggressive comment of criticism in there about what Jesus is doing or how he's baptizing a bit different than what he might do it. No, instead of reacting, he responds. He responds. From time to time, my, my family and I, we, when we're on holidays or you know, perhaps at the beach or on a picnic or, or having fun together and making memories together, we like to try and take a fun family selfie together. You know, you hold the phone up and you all try and fit in there. And with five of us, it can be somewhat challenging at times to fit everyone in to the picture. And uh, inevitably, as we try and do that, there's one, often two or more of my children that try and take up the whole shot, that try and, you know, get in there, get front and center take up my spot, and try and get in the way of everyone else, right? And uh, eventually we get there, and we've got to make sure that no one's too far on the periphery or no one's hidden and can be seen. But if we're honest, sometimes our lives can be a little bit like this. There can be a little bit, well, far too much of us taking up the picture and far too little of Jesus. Or there's far too... You know, he, far too much of us and Jesus is there somewhere in the picture, but maybe like out on the periphery, hiding behind someone or something. And so I love John's response here. In this, he says, in this story, I'm not the central figure. I'm not front and center. It's not about me. He presents this picture, this beautiful picture of the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom. We would say in our culture, the best man. Right? 
If you go to a wedding, it's the best man's role not to steal the limelight, but rather to support and serve the groom. He's there to kind of put the spotlight on him and do whatever he can to make sure the groom is the one that's seen and has, has the day of celebration. What a foolish and inappropriate thing it would be for the best man to try and upstage the groom or take his place. Just would be a big no-no. just wouldn't happen. What John's saying here, this was his joy, his privilege, and, and the consistent faithful witness in his life. We read earlier in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, that they're coming and saying, hey, are you the one? He's like, no, no, I'm not the one. It's Jesus. I'm not the light. It's Jesus. Behold, take note, pay attention. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His life proclaimed something. His life spoke. It, it proclaimed the message and pointed people towards Jesus, the one who was to come. What our world needs in 2024, are those whose joy and privilege it is to live lives that are consistent, authentic, and faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, consistently pointing towards Him in our speech, in our conduct, in the very manner of our lives. So, we arrive at this statement, which some translations render as the final recorded words in John's Gospel. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I want to ask us a question this morning. What has the place of prominence in your life right now? Is it Jesus or is it something else? To phrase it another way, is it apparent that Jesus has first place? Is it evident that he is increasing in your life, in the way you live, away from the public eye, in your home life, with your family, in your workplace, when you deal with those difficult people that might rub you up the wrong way, in the way you spend your time, in your studies, whatever it might be, is it evident and apparent that Jesus has first place? Is it evident that he is increasing in our lives? Before we kind of land where I want to, what I want to lead us, leave us with this morning, I want us to notice something. And it's this word must. He must increase, but I must decrease. This word is not just a suggestion or a nice idea. It's not just a, well, if I get to it in 2024, if I get through all my New Year's resolutions, then maybe I will. No, it's an imperative. It's a necessity for us. And in fact, the Greek word used here, very short, simple word, day, D-E-I, it means to bind or to tie together. It refers to what is not optional, but needful or binding out of intrinsic necessity. In other words, this Greek word, which has been translated must here in the English, describes that which must necessarily take place. And John, in fact, uses this very word on a number of occasions in his gospel. The Apostle John, as he's writing the gospel, uses this particular word. For example, John chapter 3, verse 7, he says, You must be born again, referring to the absolute necessity of spiritual rebirth, of responding to the good news of the gospel, of receiving the gift of salvation and new life. 
Or John 3.14, he writes, The Son of Man must be lifted up, referring, of course, to the cross. The absolute necessity of Jesus surrendering his life and dealing once and for all with this issue of sin. One more example, John 4 verse 4. It says that he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. In other words, this is referring to Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman that changed her life and the lives of her entire village. It's like there was this, it was absolutely necessary for him to go that way. So as we can see, it's not just a little passing comment or suggestion, but something that is imperative or necessary. And so I want to put to us this morning that it is absolutely necessary that he must increase in our lives. Let 2024 be the year of increase, the year of Christ increasing in our lives, the year of us increasing in Christ-likeness. Verse 31, he goes on to say, He who comes from above is above all. The highest place in our lives, the place of honor in our lives, must be reserved for Jesus. What if our prayer as we start a new year was not so much that our dreams and desires are fulfilled, not so much that our goals are realized, that that promotion we've been working towards is attained, What if our prayer was not so much, perhaps more financial breakthrough or freedom, and all those things are not bad in and of themselves? Please hear me this morning. But what if our prayer as we start a new year was, Lord Jesus, in my life, in my thoughts, in my conversations, in my heart attitudes, in my work, in my home, in my family, would you increase? Would you be seen? Would you be valued and treasured and honored? Would you have the place of prominence in every area of my life? What would that look like? How different would things look if that was our prayer and our resolution? I believe this kind of increase is the posture that the Lord is inviting us into this year. To increase means to cause to grow or cause to become greater in extent, size, prominence, or quality. So here John the Baptist, in this proclamation, he must increase, but I must decrease, describes the necessity for Jesus to be continually increasing in prominence and esteem in his life. Less of us being at the center means more of Jesus. So what does it look like? What would our lives look like if we intentionally made it our necessity that Christ would increase in our lives? Author, teacher, discipleship expert Dallas Willard, he said this, that first, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep the Lord before our minds. Now that sounds great, and that's a good principle to practice, but That's not always easy. We live in busy lives. We live in a fast-paced society. There's always distractions. There's always things that we have to do on the to-do list. It's not always easy, is it, to keep the Lord before our minds, right, at the forefront of our minds. But as I've been reflecting on this this week, what does this look like? How do we do it? I've been thinking about how often we keep the news and the headlines at 
the forefront of our minds, don't we? That we keep the weather before our minds. That we keep, perhaps, social media feeds before our minds. That we keep the sports scores, I'll put my hand up for that, before our minds. There are so many things that we keep before our minds, that we keep at the forefront of our minds, isn't there? Maybe just me, I don't know. But there are so many things that we, that we keep before our minds. How do we do that? Well, we have a moment between meetings, in the lift, as we're walking down the street. I don't know what it looks like. We have a moment and we pause, we stop, we take out the device, we scroll, we check in, we make sure we're up to date, we reflect, there's an intentionality about it, and we repeat, and so on and so on. That's how we keep those things before our minds. So what if we took those moments, the quiet moment in the waiting room, that little bit of time before meetings, your lunch break, whatever it might be, and in a similar vein, turned our attention towards the Lord, turned our attention to remember His mercy and His grace towards us. We cast our mind at Calvary, as that song says, where Jesus bled and died for me. Where we just took a moment just to honor him for who he is, to welcome his presence in our lives. You know, Romans 12 talks about how we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, what we, what we feed our minds with, it causes something to, to, to grow in here, right? What if we filled our minds more with more of Christ in this year. I would suggest that that is Him increasing. If we took those moments, you're about to reach, oh no, Lord, thank you. I turn my mind to you. I remember who you are. I remember the price you pay. Or I pray for that person. or Whatever it is, just as a simple little thing, to keep the Lord before our minds so that He might increase this year. Here's another example or another practice for us. Many of us, I'm sure, are well acquainted with the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, you know, where Jesus is, is speaking into anger and murder and adultery and lust and uh, divorce and marriage and being people of our word and loving our neighbors and all those things, morality, all those things, laying out a br- blueprint for for life and what it looks like. And I remember this jumping out at me a little while ago, maybe the last 12, 18 months, two years. It's a a sermon, a passage of scripture I've read many times before. But over and over again, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. But I tell you, but I tell you, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You know, never before in history has there been a time where mankind has had access to more information, to more opinions, to more noise, to more loud voices shouting at us, telling us what is right and wrong. You have heard that it was said. More, more, and more. But what if we were a people where less is actually more? where we tune into the, but I tell you, of Jesus. Where we tune into what He is saying and what He has said to us through His Holy Word. 
the end of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like the one who builds their house on the rock. The storm comes, the wind blows, the rain falls, the oceans rise, yet the house is not shaken for it's built on the firm foundation. I want to put to us this morning, if we want to be a people where we're, Lord, you must increase. I believe his word is so important and so crucial, so paramount in our lives that we're shaped by his truth, by his words of life, by what he says. The hearing, being in his word, but also the doing, the putting into practice, because that's where the rubber hits the road. In that difficult situation at work, perhaps, that you might find this week or this year sometime. Is Christ increasing? Will Christ increase in that situation? Or will the I increase in terms of how we react and respond? In that situation where you're tempted to compromise this year. Because everyone else is doing it. Or it feels good or it's what I want. Will Christ increase Or will I increase in that moment? In that situation at home, that temptation where you you just want to choose the selfish option. In that moment, will Christ increase or will I increase? Because as we read his word, as we behold the Lord Jesus, as we hear and put into practice His word, these words of life that I tell you, what we will find is not only this firm foundation, but more and more, he will be increasing in our lives. He must increase, I must decrease. We don't just, unfortunately, we don't just drift into devotion. It takes intentionality. Just like New Year's resolutions take intentionality to keep and maintain. Let this be a year where we set our hearts that he must increase. Because it's a year of increase, but a year of less is more. Secondly, this morning, I want to put to us that it's absolutely necessary that I, we, must decrease. What do I mean by that? It's this Greek word for I, ego, which I'm sure we're familiar with, ego, that we so often have to manage. It refers to the old I, which continually seeks recognition, seeks its own way seeks to be the center of attention. This I must die daily in order for the life of Christ to be manifest in us. I touched on earlier that it's an Olympic year, and if you watch an Olympic runner or an Olympic swimmer come out for their race, often they will come out and they've got their tracksuit on, perhaps their jumper on, their headphones on, as they're preparing for their race. But they don't get into the race, get into the event with those things on, it would be foolish, wouldn't it, to have those extra peripheral things on them. Before they start, they get rid of all the peripheral stuff so they can run the race well or swim and not be weighed down so that those extra things 
Don't get in the way. For them, less is actually more. So it means more speed or aerodynamics and all those things. So as we grab hold of this invitation and exhortation for Christ to increase in our lives, what of us needs to decrease this year? What in our lives needs to become less in order for Christ to increase? In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Why is that? So that we're able to run the race marked out for us with endurance, so that we're unhindered as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it's interesting, the words used there, it says, lay aside every weight and every sin. So, of course, we hear a message around there's things that need to decrease, and we can automatically think of that's areas of sin, patterns of besetting sin or whatever, and absolutely, there's no better time than the first Sunday of the year to, to bring those things before the Lord. It's paramount for us. But it also refers to every weight. And that particular word there in the Greek, it means, can mean an encumbrance, whatever is prominent, can mean bulk, I mean those things that hinder, those things that are not even necessarily bad things, right? But those things that can weigh us down and hinder Christ increasing. They can be good things, things that we perhaps maybe give too much prominence to. My youngest son, he loves watching animal documentaries. And I admit I enjoy watching them as well. And there was one that he was watching recently, and uh, it kind of looked at the life or the case of a sloth. Now, they're fascinating creatures. I don't know how many of us know that much about sloths. I certainly didn't before this. They're very different than Sid the Sloth from the Ice Age animated films. But it was, they're fascinating creatures. They have the slowest metabolism of any animal. It takes a month to digest a single leaf. They have this green algae on their fur that's only found on sloths. If that's not gross enough for you, they have an entire micro kingdom living in their fur. There's some, they believe, well, there's some 80 species that call their fur their home. Insects, bugs, all, moths, all sorts of things. I don't know if you think that's amazing or that's disgusting. It's probably a bit of both. But as I was watching this documentary, thinking, that's amazing. I was like, hmm, there's something in that, I think, for us. Because how often in our lives can we have our own little stuff hanging on, our own little ecosystems that we're carrying around with us that maybe simply needs to decrease so that Christ may increase? Maybe it's those things that ultimately draw us away from the Lord Jesus. That in and of themselves are not necessarily bad things, but will weigh us down and hinder us. If this is going to be a year of Jesus increasing in our lives, it goes without saying that perhaps some other things need to decrease. Less of us in the picture means more 
of Him. If Christ is increasing as a byproduct of that, it looks like things like bitterness decreasing. Less bitterness and more forgiveness and peace. If Christ is increasing as a flow and effect in our lives, that probably means that pride is going to be decreasing. Less pride, more humility. We'll touch on that just in a minute. If Christ is increasing, well, as a flow and effect, that probably means that that criticism is going to be decreasing in our lives. Less criticism and more kindness. If Christ is increasing, that probably means that distraction will be decreasing. Less distraction, more devotion unto Him. If Christ is increasing, a byproduct of that will probably mean that grumbling will be decreasing. Less grumbling, more gratitude. If Christ is increasing, that will probably look like selfishness decreasing. Less selfishness and more selflessness. If Christ is increasing, that will probably also look like compromise decreasing. Less compromise and more consecration unto the Lord. Now these things decreasing are not always easy. Are not always easy. There is probably pain involved. Probably a little bit of intentional effort on our part as we bring those things before the Lord, as, as we allow Him and invite Him to work in our hearts and in our lives. But you know, there's a dangerous prayer that we find in Scripture. David prayed it, and then he went and wrote it down so it would be there for all time for us to see. He writes in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a challenging and dangerous prayer to pray right there. Because the Lord answers our prayers, right? He answers. You hear that and you go, okay, I'm going to come. Let's have a little bit of a look. Let's have a little bit of a look at the 80 species hiding in the fur, you know. Let's have a little bit of a look of what needs to, be, to, to go in order that I can come and increase. Maybe today, at the very start of the year, it's a day to come before the Lord, to invite Him to come and search our hearts. Maybe it's this week. You know, it's, it's easy to hear a message. He must increase, I must decrease. Great, let's go into the... Maybe this week, a simple practice that you can take with you is, okay, Lord, are there things that must decrease so that you can increase? Are there things that you want to deal with so that you can more clearly be seen in my life? Maybe it's not just this week. Maybe it's an ongoing thing, a practice that we might adopt this year. Lord, is there any attitude? Is there any besetting sin? Is there any bitterness we might be holding on to? Is there preoccupation with things that ultimately will sap life and time and energy from us? Our phones, our TV, or whatever it is. Less is more. Less is more. Lord, come and search us, I pray. He must increase, but I must decrease. For this cry to become our cry. Jeanette, would you be able to come up at this point? Finally, this morning, it's absolutely necessary that we cultivate a heart posture of humility. A heart posture of humility. 
Philippians 2, you can turn there if you like, maybe we'll bring it up on the screen. As we perhaps think of our priorities for the coming year, may this be right up there. The start of chapter 2 of Philippians, my Bible anyway, it says, Christ's example of humility. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What does a year of increase look like in the eyes of the Lord? What does a successful year look like? A fruitful year look like? Maybe it's not necessarily bigger or better or faster or stronger or smarter or puffed up. Maybe it looks like going lower, being clothed with humility, as First uh, Peter instructs us, and following Christ's example. For he, the King of all glory, humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant he went to the cross despising its shame making a way for us to be in relationship with the Father he was the one who washed his disciples feet he was the one who instructed us to turn the other cheek he was the one when, you know, James and John, well, the sons of thunder, they were getting a little bit kind of zealous about a town that had refused his message. They're like, do you want us to call down fire? How much do we love to, you know, have our say, have our two cents worth, get the last word? And Jesus is like, hey, no, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm about. He's the one who came not to be served, but serve and he actually invites us in to that call to that mission he says hey if you want to be great this is the path it's the path of being a servant this is our example the one who humbled himself we think of the proclamation of John the Baptist he must become greater I must become less if we look at the life of Jesus what does that look like for us going from here in addition to those simple practices keeping the Lord before our minds being in his word asking the Lord to search us it looks like when we pray praying in the secret place when we fast, not just doing it to get a pat on the back. When we give or are generous, not just doing it 
so that others can see, but actually doing it in the secret place so that our Father sees in secret. And that's where our reward comes from. It's when we're faced with that difficult person, that colleague that always just butts up against us, maybe that family member or neighbor or whoever it is, it's in that place responding, not reacting, responding out of love, compassion, responding the way that Jesus would. It's blessing those who would persecute us. And we could go on. He must increase, but I must decrease reveals a heart posture of humility. And I'll leave us with this. Theologian and writer W.E. Vine said this about John the Baptist. He said, to him, Jesus was everything. His exaltation and interest were his consuming object. In this lowliness and satisfaction, John the Baptist is an example to us. It should be so with us as it was with him. The only thing that should matter should be that Christ is glorified by us and in all our ways and circumstances. That Christ may be magnified in our bodies and if that dominates our desires, our aims and ambitions, all will be well with us. No matter how greatly we may be despised, no matter how great may be our suffering and trial. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a New Year's resolution worth pursuing and persisting with. That He would be magnified. That He would increase. That He, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be seen, would be valued, would be treasured, would have the place of prominence more and more in our lives. And that those things that hinder that happening would decrease as the Lord is at work in our hearts and in our lives this year. He must increase, but I must decrease. If that dominates our desires, our aims, our ambition, our resolutions, if you like, all will be well with us. Would you stand this morning? as we bring our time together to a close. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We've already opened up the altar this morning. That was great. Just an opportunity to respond to what the Lord was doing. I'm going to to open up the altar here at the front, to the sides again. For what better time, what better place than here, gathering together as God's people on the very first Sunday of a new year to come before the Lord, to do business with the Lord, you could say. Maybe there's just that longing, that that prayer, that cry in your heart this morning as we start a new year that you're like, hey, Lord, this year, would you increase? Lord, may my, my words, my conversations, my thoughts, my attitudes, my home life, my family, my work, whatever it is, may it look more and more like you or may it be evident that you are increasing and if that's the cry of your heart I would I would just simply invite you to come to come before the Lord and kneel before him stand before him perhaps you're in a place this morning where you're like yeah there are some things that need to decrease there are some things that I need to bring before the Lord at the start of this year whether it's 
just patterns of, of sin, whether it's those things that can distract and actually pull us away from the Lord. There's an invitation here to come and do business with God this morning. To just simply and humbly come before Him. Bring that stuff. Allow Him to wash you clean. To start afresh. So that's the invitation. That's the response this morning. That He would increase. That we decrease those things in our lives those weights, the sins all those things so Father I thank you for our time together this morning thank you that you've been here in our midst Lord as we think of the year ahead as we perhaps take a moment to reflect to uh, order our priorities for the year Jesus would you be our priority would it be our, our aim, our goal our ambition, Lord, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be seen, that you would be valued, that you would be treasured, that you would have the place of prominence in every area of our lives. I pray that where there are things hanging around, things weighing us down, sin that's entangling, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that this would be a moment this morning, this would be a a year of those things just being laid aside, being stripped away, Lord God, so that we can experience and know more of you. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us, as your people, Lord, that we would approach this year with that posture of humility, that posture of humility following your example, Lord Jesus. Please help us, I pray. Please help us, Lord God, that this would not just be like any other year, that we would not just continue to, to, to keep up with the status quo and go through the motions. But Lord, rather, I, and I feel to pray this this morning, there may be some here for whom this is like a line in the sand moment to say, look, this is what I want my year to be marked by, to be framed by, to be shaped by, that you must increase, Lord Jesus. And uh, yeah, I just pray there'll be grace upon your people for that. And I ask for that in your precious and matchless name. King Jesus, we say to you, be the honor and the glory and the praise in all things and at all times. Amen.